Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation changes? When you work with Edward Jones, they focus on what's important to you. You'll work together and use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And they'll partner with you to help your strategy stay on track. Visit edwardjones.com or stop by the office of Todd Nash in Coralville, Jeff Rudolph, or Scott McGill in Iowa City, or or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. Welcome to the Hawkeye Hotspot Podcast here on hawkfanatic.com. Day early, but not a dollar short. We am Rob Howe, joined as always by Scott Docterman of The Athletic. Uh, It is Wednesday, September 29th, 2021. Little afternoon, and we are going, this is normally a Thursday podcast, but like the Iowa football team that plays Friday night at Maryland, uh, we've condensed our week. Scott is heading out on a plane tomorrow morning. And uh, so we're recording a day early. So you get the same amount of time to listen to the podcast two days like you normally do on Thursday. So it's all kind of uh, symmetrical. Right, Scott? Yeah, and it has to be. It's a good thing. I mean, you know, I guess if nothing else, you get two extra days if you're listening to it in your car or or other, you know, enterprises rather than a Saturday morning where you might not be. So, hey, Awesome. (laughs) I hope you enjoy it. Um, So let's take a, I don't want to say quick, I don't want to fly through it because I think there's plenty of meat on the bone from the Colorado State game. Um, Played out like we all thought it would. I will be trailing at halftime and then have to come back (laughs) second half. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a long football season and there are games like this. Um, We could go down through the line of 2009 Northern Iowa or whatever other game you want to talk about during seasons that are good seasons or or even special seasons. There are just tough games. There are games that maybe don't play out the way we think they're going to play out. Um, But at the end, Iowa was still a 24 to 14 winner, Scott. And uh, I don't know, I guess let's, if you take out the, the, these two, the, the block of non the two non-conference games, the the not the non-Cyhawk non-conference games. Um, I think we were all kind of looking to evaluate where this team was in that two-game block. Could the offense take steps forward um, after not having to face defenses like Indiana and Iowa State? Um, would the defense continue to dominate? Would the special teams still be good? In your mind, after these two weeks, going back into Big Ten play this week, what was answered and what's still not answered? Um, I know that's a broad-based question. Right. Yeah, I mean, I I guess it's more kind of unit-based to some extent. I think 
the defense. Let's start there. Let's start with the fun one. I think the defense answered the bell. I think that they also showed their vulnerabilities. So they they put on film things that they can work on because they're going to get tested again. They're going to get tested on Friday. They're going to get tested in every game from here on out. So against Kent State, they had to learn how to play against an up-tempo team and how to slow it down or try to. Um, against Colorado State, they had to learn how to play against a, a pin and pull power team, you know, a lot like Wisconsin. And they showed at times some, some struggles, and then they showed how they could overcome it in both areas. And uh, specific to Colorado State, there were twice when they, in the first half, when they were asked to put out the fire and they couldn't, you know, when, the, when there was a shanked punt and then there was an interception. And okay, um, you got some work to do in that department. Not anything serious, but just, okay, this is a failure. You know, you need to get better from this. Um, so I, I think in some ways that the defense understands it's some of its vulnerabilities. There's aren't, there aren't many, but there are ways where you can get them. Um, special teams, by and large, has been outstanding. Um, outside of that shanked punt by Tory Taylor, it's been really good. Um, so it, that one, to me, is just a matter of um, you know just working on the details and, and getting better, all that happy coach speak. Um, offensively, there are a lot of issues. I don't think there's really any way to, to sugarcoat that. Um, I think there's potential. I think they can get up to being an average offense. And if they can be an average offense, this team's in Indianapolis and a threat to advance to either the Rose Bowl or the playoff. If it can't be average or if it's, uh, you know, only can work out of one facet or if it's just struggling across the board, it's going to lose a game it shouldn't. And this is one of those games where you could look at it and go, yeah, they could lose this game. I think Iowa's the better team in judging it across the board. But if they can't run the football again, if uh, they're forced to throw and then you've thrown against a secondary that maybe they don't receivers don't get a lot of separation and, and maybe that you throw an interception or two, or they get down and they give up a big play. You can lose this game. You can lose a couple of the games coming up. So, I mean, it, not really to use full letter grades. And I mean, I would say right now the defense is an A to an A minus. I'd say the special teams is an A plus to an A. And then I would say the, the uh, offense as a whole is probably C minus at best. And that's only when it's been performing up to its capabilities. Yeah. And I, I mean, we'll find out, like you said, if the offense doesn't pick it up, if it can't carry more of the weight, I was probably going to lose a game. It shouldn't lose. And honestly, you look at the rest of the schedule, you can make an argument that Iowa shouldn't lose any of these games based on, how they've played so far in the talent level, but yeah. Maryland, Penn state, Wisconsin, even because Wisconsin's defense is still crazy good. Um, you know, Minnesota, I know they lost to Bowling Green, but it's still a dangerous team on the road, to Nebraska down the line. Um, plenty of teams capable of beating Iowa. Um, I thought Colorado state and Kent state for that matter. Took, did a good job of analyzing Iowa's tape from the first two games, particularly from an offensive perspective, and find ways to attack Iowa's defense. Now, still, I mean, seven points and 14 points, you know, pick in one situation, um, 
Kent State really had the, you know, the, the one strong drive, but we're, we're, we've got the bar so high for this defense. But there are ways, and, and the better offenses, and the, the quarterback this week and, and some of these skill players that can score some points here where the offense is going to have to carry more weight. Now, you have a story on The Athletic that you um, published today about the running game. And we thought we were through this last year, Scott. We thought, okay, it's fixed. It's not fixed. No, it's not fixed. And in watching it, though, in this case, I'm in the past. I've I've been critical of schematics. I've been critical of play calling. I think it's more execution based. And I'd have no problem calling out if I thought Brian Ferentz was the one, you know, that was the problem or or the scheme. And it's really wrapped in that there's a lot of inexperience up front. Sometimes they get into number situations and they continue to still run the football um, rather than pass it, which I mean, I know they want to do, but, um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of simple in that, that it's one player here, one player there. And when you're running, especially stretch play, if a guard falls down, misses his block, it crushes the whole entire play. And that to me sometimes is very difficult when you run in zone, because if the backside guard gets falls down and the, the linebacker knifes through, then you can stop the ball at like a one yard gain a lot of times. And that's really tough for this system. Now the system can work in amazing ways if they allow it to, but, and then, there are beyond that there are little small details that are turning the offense into you know having a lot of negative plays or or not positive plays you know you look at last week the the pass to Nico Regani put him in really good territory and then you had Charlie Jones drop that end around you know the reverse or whatever or the jet sweep and then all of a sudden it was like that's a 13 yard loss so it goes against your total he had at least 10 yards ahead of him past the line of scrimmage. And who knows, he has a cutback, maybe he scores on it. And instead it goes from being a, a plus 20 play to a minus 15 play. So that's a 35 yard variance. And, and then even before that, you look at, you know, the turnovers are turnovers, but you know, the week before with Tyrone Tracy falling down on a, on a tunnel screen, you have the tunnel screen pass this time around. And I, I'd say Spencer shouldn't have thrown that ball. It's on him. But I also look at Tyrone Tracy and saying, you got to be stronger with it to knock it out of his hands. Um, you know, you have an overturned reception that killed a drive the week before. And, and just small details that I think overall, you're like, if you could continue those drives, you'd feel pretty good about the outcome because they're going to score more points. And uh, it would have been, say, instead of, it would have been 28-14 instead of 24-14, which sounds better. So I don't think they're that far away, but you've got to be more consistent than they are to ensure that those plays don't happen or they don't kill you. And I think right now that's their problem is that they're, you're combining a play like that with uh, another net zero game, and then you're forcing yourself to try to convert third and long, and that doesn't always work. Just seems so hard. It just seems like everything needs to. Everything's hard for Iowa on offense, and maybe that's part of the complementary football where there's this 
tug of war between, you know, how risky do we get knowing that the, the defense and special teams as good as they are, but also not to be too conservative. And it seems like there's that pull, that tug of war there. Um, and you talked about it, the numbers game of running into loaded boxes. Um, maybe Keegan Johnson is the answer to that. Maybe a guy who on the outside can beat one-on-one coverage because I was seeing a lot of one-on-one coverage and not being able to take advantage of it for whatever reason. And maybe that's enough to loosen things up, to open things up for running game. Then you go play action and voila, it doesn't look like you're trying to pull, push, you know, a thousand pound rock up a hill, which it looks like when you watch Iowa's offense. And, and that's the problem for this team going forward is you're not just kind of Iowa sitting there, you know, as a, you know, in a typical year, they might be ranked what probably 16th now. So just kind of a known quantity, but not, no, they're ranked fifth and going into this game, they're going to be the only game on TV, which means every single college football fan, but also media member is going to be watching this game. They're going to be watching to see how good Iowa is. Is Iowa a legitimate college football playoff contender? And to me, that's that's kind of scary because if Iowa plays poorly, even if it wins, but if it offensively, if it's 14 to 27 for 125 yards and one touchdown and they win 20 to 10, people are going to go – this is a, it's just not fun to watch. Therefore it's not good, which, is, which isn't true, but it's just, that's the hard part about this. It's an offensive game and, and they make it hard. As you said, it's just, there are times when you're like, maybe they should just do something different, <laughs> but I don't think they will with the current coaching staff. And um, last year they seemed to run the ball. Well, it seemed to be, you know, they ran for a 4.6 yard per, you know, yard per carry average that's great football for this type of team. Now they've got to try to do that again, but not having the same tackles hurts. Not having Alaric Jackson set the edge on the outside slant, not having Mark Kallenberger there, um, you know, having Kyler Schott hurt, having um, Justin Britt hurt, having, you know, just on and on, no cold band work. It, it, it's really, it shows up. It shows up a lot. And it's not that, I mean, everybody misses a block. You're never going to be hundred percent perfect, but it's like, it's like the, the, what the Dutch thing where, you know, you plug the hole here and then the water comes out here. It's like whack-a-mole and you know, as well. And, and that's their problem in the running game. And, but you, you said it, Keegan Johnson might be the answer. And if he is, I think in some ways, the answer part two is get Tyrone Tracy off the line of scrimmage. That's probably not where he's best. He's probably better as a, the what we used to call flanker now is a um, Z receiver to get him so he can move, maybe be more of a jet sweep guy rather than be an online guy. Cause I just, I don't think that's using his abilities to the best of what he can do. I had somebody ask me this this week and um, in the mailbag podcast, and I kind of can see both sides of it and some of it's not it's been out of, you know, it's been out of the hands of the coaches, but trying to settle this offensive line, not having so many rotational pieces, trying to figure out who your best five are, you know, moving forward. 
Um, I just don't get a sense that Iowa's there yet. I think they're still, you know, with Britt being dinged up and, you know, shots still working back into shape. Um, because people forget he missed two games, but he also missed a lot of the preseason. So he, mm-hmm. it's going to take a couple weeks for it to, for, to get back into it. Um, I don't know. It just, it's in the zone blocking scheme. It's hard to get chemistry and continuity. I think when you're rotating this many pieces. It's true. It is. And the, the problem is, do you have the right pieces out there? And that's what they're trying to answer yeah. when you've got a, a red shirt freshman at, at left tackle. Is he, you know, and I think he has maybe answered that question. You know, I think he's a tackle. I think he's played fairly well out there and I think he's getting better. Center is no question. We know who yeah. that is. Um, I think the answer is pretty well there to at left guard with Cody Ince. I think they just, you know, when every now and then they want to get somebody else in there. The right side is, is still, to me, pretty unsettled. Mick DeYoung is kind of fit into that right tackle spot. He misses some blocks. I think he's got a future. It's just you've got, you've got growing pains there. And then right guard, Justin Britt has the athletic capability to be that for the next couple of years and do a really nice job. But he's often hurt, and he's been hurt. He was hurt last week. Kyler Schott could solidify it, but he's got the same – you know, he's broke his foot in late July. So now they, they're still working their way back there. Connor Colby has probably as much upside as anybody outside of Linderbaum. So they, the other day, it's like, well, shot's still working his way back and, and uh, Britt's not available. Let's, let's go ahead and give him the start. And it was a rough experience for Colby, I think, but he was also, he's also got a lot of problems too. And they know mm-hmm. that. And they, they typically do that where they do bring in a, you know, a freshman that they think is going to be a starter and then bring him in for a few series a game at a minimum, you know, at a guard spot. And that works. I think their best bet, if they can get things solidified, it's to go with six. Um, and that is keep the tackles the way they are um, and then have some sort of rotation of ints, shot, Brit, and just kind of work through that. Maybe somebody, you know, gets two, you know, four series, a game, you know, one at each spot and a half, and then everybody takes a series off because, you know, you got to make sure if somebody gets hurt and that's going to happen, that you have somebody capable of filling in for you. It's just, you know, they're just, in some ways, they're just not playing well or consistent enough. And that's, that's probably the biggest problem with the offense as a whole. Yeah. And, um, you know, with, with Keegan Johnson, and then they got Arlen Bruce. They both had some nice plays on that that scoring drive, and uh, hopefully we see more of both of those guys. We heard a lot about them in the preseason. Um, you know, if, if the guys you're having in there are tr- having trouble beating one-on-one coverage, put some guys in there that do. Do some different things to loosen up defenses. Um, Maryland, I, I, I was – stunned to see that they're ranked eighth in scoring off or scoring defense. I mean, that's where the improvement is at Maryland. They've always had skilled players. Uh, Tonga Vailoa is a good quarterback. I mean, they've had quarterback issues too, and they've stabilized that with him, but really for them, and I think he's getting a lot of the attention this week. They're better defensively. 
And I know they haven't played, you know, a murderer's row, but they did beat West Virginia and they do lead the conference in sacks with 16. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what Iowa does offensively against an aggressive defensive unit. This is going to be a, a defense that comes after the Iowa offense. It is going to be interesting. And, and watching that unit, they've got talent. And that's one thing we can always say about Mike Loxley, or really even some of his, his predecessors, is they've been able to attract talent to Maryland. There's a ton and in that they, area. Yeah, I mean, the DMV. I mean, <laughs> Iowa <laughs> used to go there, you know, yeah. and uh, they had uh, Chris White and before him, uh, Daryl Wilson and stuff. But now it's, uh, you know, <laughs> let's go somewhere else. You know, kind of the way they always seem to operate. But, um, you know, they've got a good defensive end um, for sure. And I, I'll butcher his name. I'll just call him Sam. That's his first Yeah, name. I'm not helping you on that one. I, got, I can't. <laughs> what if I could, but I can't. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to try. It'll be, you know, it'll sound bad. So, but he's he's actually really good. Um, the rest of them I, am, I, I wonder about because they haven't played a team this physical yet. And West Virginia is uh, a good team, you know, kind of in that, you know, seven, you could think of them as a seven and five type of team. You know, if they played a, a Minnesota or somebody like that, how would they do? Well, probably about the same. Um, you know, Howard really allowed them their stats to spike because that's a, not a good team at all. And they beat them, what, 60 to nothing or whatever it was. And uh, But, you know, I, I really wanted to pay attention to the Illinois and the Kent State games just to see kind of what's, because that those are like opponents. We already saw Iowa against Kent State, and Illinois is a team that Iowa plays every year. And um, defensively, I was I, I was impressed by the skill. I think discipline, you know, is not they're not as disciplined as Iowa certainly. And I, but they do have a lot of skill and up front. They make things happen, and um, so there are challenging challenges there. Now they've been injured a lot at linebacker. They were like at number three, you know, they've had like three linebackers out and one is a game time decision and one of them probably will play. And then another one is out for the season. So it's um, that if, if Iowa can handle the front wall, I think they've got a chance to really handle the second level in the running game. And then maybe that opens up the pass. Yeah, they've got uh, some good DBs too. Uh, is it Nick Scott, the safety? Is that right? Nick Cross, yeah. Nick Cross, Scott Cross. I was close. <laughs> um, he's, a, he's a nice player. Um, like you said, they, they've got talented pieces that seem like they're playing more, together more because they've been a sieve defensively in the past. Um, mm -hmm. They're definitely more stable on that side of the ball. Um, and then on the offensive side, pretty veteran offensive line. Um, Good stable of running backs. Demas is a is a bear at, at receiver. Um, I think he leads the country in receiving yardage. Um, you know they've got weapons all over. And Tonga Vailoa is a guy that's not going to kill you with you know rushing yards, but man, his ability to to move sideline to sideline and keep plays alive off schedule is really that can break a defense down because it's asking yeah. you to to deal with, you know, coverage longer and trying to find him, staying in your lanes, all of those things, you really have to be disciplined defensively. Yeah, that's uh, that's going to be the key. Um, 
you know, watching Tag Tiger Viola is he's is he's the best quarterback in the Big Ten, I think, right now. And and he's you know completing passes at a 75% clip, 10 touchdowns, one pick. That was off his receiver's hands. It's not really his fault. Um, he's also pretty explosive. I mean, they've got 10 passes of 25 plus yards in four games, uh, 36 of 15 plus yards. So he's got they go, they go down the field. And that's where if you're Iowa, you're like, okay, we can handle that. We play this, you know, quarter style defense. If we need to go too high, we will. And, and uh, they'll figure their defensive line. You know, one thing about Iowa that I think I've probably been most impressed with is how the defensive line has gelled and played well yeah. in these games. Cause that was the big concern we've talked about for a year. You know, how are they going to replace Bix and Golston, Heflin, those guys. And uh, I think these young guys, they go in there and they've, they've played really well. And, and you allow them to, to rush the quarterback and um, but, but stay in their lanes. Don't let him escape. I don't think, I, I think Crum from, from, um, from Kent state is probably a, a better runner than ta- uh, Tonga Viola. But I also think that this guy can move and then throw on the run that, that, and if, you know, Jarrett or if Demas gets open, then, yeah. you know, they can make big plays, no question. And, and I, I expect them to, I, I don't want to say I was going to shoot them down and go, you know, they have, he goes eight for 23 or anything like that. I think they're going to make a couple of big plays. And it's just in Iowa's case, they've got to be ones where they tackle the receiver before he gets in the end zone. Yeah, and Tyon Ty Fleet Davis, he's a veteran player, smart kid, good athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got 14 catches, which is, yeah. uh, you know, that's quite a bit for a running back through four weeks. So um, that's something Iowa has to be aware of, too, that they throw to the backs. Um, Penny Boone's a bigger kid, more of a mm-hmm. bruising-type back. Um, Iowa recruited him. He's out of Detroit, I think. Or maybe he's yeah. from Maryland. I can't remember. I know Iowa recruited him. Yeah, Iowa actually recruited both of those backs. Um, mm-hmm. but it's, it's an interesting kind of strength versus strength. And, and, uh, Jack Kerner talked about this, that, you know, kind of in Iowa's DNA on defense is to not give up big plays, explosive plays. And that's exactly what Maryland wants to do. So that really is, is really going to be something to focus on. Can, Maryland hit some of those. We saw Kent State hit a couple of those um, deep balls. Um, and can Iowa get to Tonga Vailoa enough to make him uncomfortable? In, in some ways, this is kind of like returning back to week one against Indiana. Yeah. It, where Michael Penix had a similar vibe as, as Tiger Viola. Now he was coming off an ACLs and he wasn't necessarily a runner, but, um, but they love to make, they have big plays. Try uh, Ty Freifogel is as good say. or better than these guys. Um, but these guys are maybe a little deeper in the receiver pool. I mean, they've got good ones there too. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's fairly comparable offensively. So Going into that one, it was kind of the same way in, in some respects, which is, hey, these guys like to go and, and throw longer pass routes, which goes into the teeth of the Iowa defense. And it's going to be a matter of can the defensive line disrupt them? Not, you know, not even get sacks as much as can prevent a five foot 11 quarterback from seeing those lanes, get their hands up 
and uh, and be able to beat these bigger offensive linemen off the ball in passing situations. And in a lot of this, a lot of these situations, I think Iowa can. I think Iowa's a pretty good defense. And and you know they might give up a couple of plays, but do I see them giving up more than a couple of touchdowns? Probably not. Um, I, I think that it's just going to be a matter of how all of them play collectively um, because you do want to run in concert if you're a round acquisition team like Iowa that moves at an inch at a time. <laughs> you can't give them points, and that's kind of where they are now. And, and so I do like – I like the way Iowa will compete against this team. I just think this team is capable of doing something against Iowa if they're not playing well. For folks that haven't been out to um, College Park and seen a game, you know, witnessed a game at this stadium, in 2014 it was not a very imposing environment, Scott. Um, I expect a little bit more tomorrow night. It's a Friday night game. It looks like they're taking measures to make it a good home environment. Um, I think it's family weekend. There's a bunch of things going on. Uh, Iowa's first long trip in a while, halfway across the country, different time zone. I think that's more of a factor than it being on a Friday night. I just, I think these guys are able to adjust whatever it is. It's less than 24 hours, you know, adjustment from, you know, playing the 2.30 game or if, you know, we ever see an 11 o'clock game again. I don't know if we ever will. Wisconsin, yeah. Wisconsin. Yeah, Wisconsin. Um, but, you know, I – I think a lot's being made of the Friday night adjustment, and I just don't sense it from talking to the players. I agree. I, I don't think it's a – it's not that big of a deal because the way that – when they've switched their practice schedule to the mornings, mm-hmm. they also switch their days. Because remember back in the prehistoric era, <laughs> you know, that they, they would take Mondays off. Yeah. And then they'd start their prep Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then Friday would be their walkthrough and then they go on. Well, now they take Thursdays off and then Friday's a walkthrough at a little bit above a brisker pace is kind of how they described it. The, now you just take your Thursday out and move it to Saturday. I don't think that's much of a, an adjustment for them. And I do know flying to Maryland, a different environment is probably, it's, it's, it's odd, but for... You know, it's a road game. They fly to, mo- to many of the road spots anyway. So I don't know that it would be much different than flying to Indiana other than you're in the air for 45 minutes longer one way. And um, and so I, I think they'll be okay. In fact, you know, they've been to <laughs> – this has be their second trip to Maryland since they last went to Ohio State. Yeah. So it just shows you how crazy the Big Ten is. But um, I, I think they'll be, they'll be okay there. I mean, it's 8 o'clock Eastern, 7 o'clock Central kickoff. Um, you know, it's not like they're kicking off at noon on Friday, but even then they'd be all right. I, I think they're going to be fine. Something I wanted to touch on Scott, um, your column, um, uh, from Saturday's game, uh, you addressed the Boobirds and, uh, the last two weeks, um, being on the field, shooting photos. It, I know you hear it in the press box. It's even louder on the field. And I know the players are feeling that. Um, I don't know, man. I see both sides of this. People pay a lot of money to get in there. They want to be entertained. They're not happy with 
conservative play calling on offense. I get that. Um, but I also kind of cringe when I hear that when I'm on the field and, you know, n- we know how hard these guys work every day, you know, year round, not every day year round, but year round they're working to execute out there and it doesn't always happen. It just, I don't know. It seemed, and maybe it's because we didn't have fans last year that it's magnified even more. I, I don't know. It just, and it's not like we haven't heard booing before. Um, it just, it's so early in the season. You've got a top five team. It just seems off, uneven. It just seems like there's more pressure or there's less patience, that there's less understanding of this. You've got a team that's undefeated. And you got a team that, that won two ranked matchups in week one and two. They won the, the Cyhawk in, in a top 10 matchup. And they're still working through some issues. And we know that. And yet it's a knee-jerk reaction to, oh, come on, you know. And, and it's like, guys, settle down. You know, that this team's still pretty good. It's, it's, it's got some work to do. And I understand the frustration, you know, but it's like there's an expectation that, hey, you're a top five team. You should be blowing these teams out. Well, I was not built that way offensively. And that's understandable. But I also think that it's time for people to just take a step back, be happy with what you got. I mean, we've been waiting for years for, you know, last year, we, we didn't have fans in the stands. We didn't even know we were going to have football until October. And, and yeah. here we are now going, um, you go to the game, your team's in the top five. It's got a chance at doing something special. And, you know, you get upset halfway through a game and start booing them. I mean, come on, man. That's, that's, you know, and then you expect them to turn around and say, hey, we got the greatest fans in the world. And you're doing that. That's, I, I would suggest give it some time, you know, if they were going to, if they lost maybe even then, but I, I still, I don't like it much anyway, but I certainly wouldn't like it you know, halftime because they threw in interceptions. The first time Pence Petrus has thrown interceptions since black Friday last year. Maybe it's the beer in the stadium <laughs> that that's causing it. I'll, I'll blame it on that. But yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that's the thing. You're, you're, you're great fans. You're known as a great fan base, a knowledgeable fan base. That's the key. If you're knowledgeable about football, I think you have an understanding of the identity of this team right now, which is lean on the defense and special teams, low risk offense. But I mean, those boos came out early in both of the games. I mean, it was like early, it was first quarter boom um, yeah. of the offense. And to me, um, again, I get it. You pay money, you go in there, you want to be entertained. You don't want to see punting, <laughs> defense. Yeah. but that's your team. Embrace it. The number five team in the country winning the way it's went. What's funny to me is those are the same people who complain because France teams don't play any defense and they're just <laughs> offense. It's exactly yeah. the same thing. <laughs> oh, this team won't win the national title. Can't play defense. And then this team can't win the national title because it can't play offense. I, I guess, maybe I I look at it a little bit more removed and without emotion. And I think it's going to, it would be incredibly hard for Iowa to win the national title. I I do not ever think that'll happen. 
I, but I do think that the Big Ten title is a possibility, but they've got to grow. And we know that. We just, we really detailed why. But I also think you're there to support your team. You're wearing the black and gold. You're there to do that. Encouragement probably goes farther than booing. What do you think? What do you think those 20 year old players, not from Iowa, think going in the locker room and they're boo? You know, oh man, we got to hurry up and get out there for the fans. No, I'd be like, you know, screw the fans. I just care about me. And, and I think that's probably a bad representation of, of the fan base. And it's a bad representation of, of what people are, you know, how they should feel. I, you know, I understand the frustration. Believe me, I'm a Bears fan. I understand frustration with, with teams. And I would probably boo them, but they are professionals. Uh, these guys are ranked fifth in the country. They're undefeated. And I know you want them to play better, score more points, be more exciting, but you got what you got. And um, until they fall, you know, I, I would try to support them rather than get in their face. We talked a little bit about the running game before, Scott. Um, lean, they lean more on, on Goodson last week. I don't remember how often Kelly Martin was in there. What do you have, one or two carries? It was a, it was a low percentage. They didn't run the ball a ton anyway, but – it seems like moving forward, they may lean a little bit more on Goodson. I think so. Um, that's that's kind of you know he's the best one they have. Yep. And uh, and and Kelly Martin, you know they they have faith in him and stuff. But you, you know, hey, he's he's got three fumbles. And granted, two of those two against Kent State, he got whacked. It wasn't like he had the ball. You know, he was holding it out like sweetness or anything. I mean, he, he got popped really hard and, and that's what happens, but you've always got that in your mind that you're just like, I don't know in a close game, if we can risk that. And, um, and so that's why Goodson's going to be the guy and, and Goodson's broken, you know, four long runs. So he's done his job when it's there. And I saw, you know, some people are like, Oh, he dances too much or whatever. No, the holes aren't there. And part of that's because people are um, not getting their blocks. If they get their blocks, then it's just, you know, he'll, he'll have his yards like he did last year and probably more. Um, but right now they're running for 3.3 yards per carry, and that's unacceptable in an offense built like Iowa's and where they are ranked. So they've got to, they've got to figure this out. And I kind of got the impression from Kirk yesterday that they've kind of reached that we have to be better, not just we're hoping to get better, you know, type of thing. Is the 3.3 with the sack, Scott, or is that the running back yeah. average? Okay. With the um, sack. So, uh, you know, I would have to go back and, I mean, I guess. It's still not good. I mean, it's still not where it needs to be. Um, right. And, you know, again, find ways to loosen up the defense. Um, you know, your offensive line needs to be better run, run blocking, but I think people, you know, critics maybe don't don't acknowledge that teams get better as the and units get better as the season goes on. That's the idea, right? <laughs> Especially yeah. in college football, you're bringing guys together, and there's so much turnover that you know you, you're working each week to get better. That's that's the yeah. goal. That's the idea, and. Just because this is the way the Iowa offense looks now, is operating now, doesn't mean in another two, three, four weeks that some of these things that Scott talked about in terms of just being off a little bit here or there, there's no – we're not 
it, it's not been determined that that's not going to happen. Now it's not, been, it's, you can't expect it to happen. Right. You know, you still have to work and get better to make it happen, but there's eight games left. Yeah. I mean, there's not, ma- it's no, there's no magic formula. You know, it, it's going to take dust, work. Right? Is it pixie huh? dust? Pixie dust? Yeah. Pixie <laughs> dust. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, you know, what one area, and by the way, all three of the main running backs have at least a 4.0 uh, yard per carry average, and, and Goodson's is 5.1. So he's running the ball well most of the time. You know, now granted, his long runs really help with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one area that I've, I've wondered about is why isn't there more jet sweep movement? You know, and maybe, you know, and if, you know, really that's more of a Brian question and he hasn't been made available yet, probably in more in the bye week is my guess. But, They've run, they've run seven jet sweeps or, or runs with wide receivers and six of them have produced 36 yards. So all, and all of them have been fairly positive. The one that then just sinks them is what happened with Charlie Jones the other day yeah. drops, drops it. And then, so you go, let's say he gets 10 yards on that. And I think that's at least a fair number, <laughs> you know, based on what I saw just big picture and then watching it again. And then it's uh, seven for 46. Well, you're at six and a half to seven yards per carry on jet sweep. You're looking good. Um, Wildcat, they've only run it three times. It's been shut down other than one play. Okay, well, you'll bring that in when you need to, but, you know, no use, you know, using it when you can't. I I just, I I think that probably a little bit more of the side to side movement is going to be helpful for, paralyzing the second level per se, or getting them to watch, you know, see if there's any ghosts out there. And um, this might be a good week for that because when you have a, a young inexperienced linebacking core that, okay, you know, here he's going in motion. I got to move over here and then voila, here comes the, the zone the other way. You're in the wrong spot. And that's when you get blindsided and blasted and put on your back. So you know, I, I remain confident that the running game can be better. Great, nah, probably not, but good, yes. Passing game, I think it could be competent. I don't know about good. So if you can ha- combine those two elements with this team by the end of the month, this team's a championship caliber team, and not only in the Big Ten West, but in the Big Ten as a whole. If it can't get better, then that's when it's going to lose a game. And it might lose a game anyway. It might lose to Penn State or maybe at Wisconsin or somebody like that. But I, I think even if it's competent in the pass game, good in the run game, it'll be in Indianapolis and it'll be a, a bear for anybody to fight. Um, and that probably puts you at worst in the Rose Bowl, if not um, in the playoff. And that's, uh, that, that's quite a spot to be in. But they do have to get better, no question. And you will have booed a Big Ten champion or a playoff team. Just remember that. Um, yeah. Spencer Petras getting better, Scott? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, for I think sure. So too. Yeah. The other day was his best game. And, uh, you know, he struggled at times with his accuracy in the past. I saw less of that because I think he kind of was allowed to go downfield more. And, and he, he took advantage of the coverage. I mean, they were in single, single high safety. Here's one on one coverage on the outside. Take them up. And they did. They did a nice job of that. And and Keegan Johnson just, you know, really stretched the field. And if he can do that, that was the one element that they weren't going to have going into this year, which was downfield 
speed the way Amir Smith Marset. They just can't replicate that. But if you can bring Keegan Johnson in to do plays like that, and then allow Tyrone Tracy to probably work a little more underneath and in different routes that way, and then have Sam Laporta, then I think this is a very competent passing attack. And it's just I think now's the time to go ahead and you know Keegan started played quite a bit, not a, not a ton, but I think it's time to go ahead and keep pressing with him and, and probably Arlen Bruce too, but in just a different way. Yeah. And those were nice deep balls by, by Spencer. Um, mm-hmm. Both of the, the throws to, to Keegan Johnson were excellent throws and he put the ball on Regani. Regani had to make a tough play, but he put it in a spot where his guy could make a play. And that's what you yeah. want. Exactly. That's what, that's what Nate Stanley struggled with, frankly, yeah. in a lot of cases, was was putting deep balls on guys, and he had such a strong arm, he struggled with it. And I think, you know, they had five explosive passing plays the other day. That's their goal, and it's a, it's a modest goal, but it's it's one that they have and they hit. And I think that was really a good thing for this team. And and they also stretched the field a few other times, didn't connect, but I think that's important to say, hey, we're going to be here. We're going to come at you. And if you're going to continue to log the box, we're going to nail you the next time you do this. And I think that's what Iowa does have to, pre, you know, project it, you know, that kind of swaggered at times. And they haven't really, they haven't had needed to as much. Um, and I know this, this sounds strange, but, you know, those first two games when they got a big lead because of their defense, the only way they could have allowed Iowa State and Indiana back in the game was to allow them to, 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 to take the ball away. And if, you know, at Ames especially, that place was a madhouse. If he would have gone back and he was going to get sacked, and if he would have tried to throw the ball out here and somebody picked it off and turned it 25 yards and down to the five, that place would have been on fire, and they might have lost. Instead, take the sack, punt, pin the ball deep, make them go the distance, <laughs> and it, that you just see like <laughs> we can't get anything you know the frustration from the fan base because of that and hey winning is fun losing sucks <laughs> so. exactly you put a, you should put that on a t-shirt <laughs> <laughs> winning is fun guys <laughs> check it out more cash this week i assume yeah oh yeah yeah they're pretty much pretty exclusive at three wide receivers almost all the time so uh, one of the things that I saw with Kent State and, and Iowa State, too, for that matter, was that there was a kind of a trading off at weak side linebacker with Justin Jacobs and, and Seth Benson, that they played pretty comparable number of snaps. And that's probably a good thing that I think Jacobs, if you're if you're in passing downs, third and eight and stuff like that, get Jacobs out there. He's a better pass defender for sure, better athlete. And you know, he might be a better linebacker all the way around. And, you know, so Benson still does, you know, has not lost his spot. I think he's good as well. You're just not going to take out Campbell for anything. Uh, So, but, but I expect five DBs on the field, almost on every play, unless it's a goal line situation. That's really the only reason I would see him go even four, three, let alone goal line. So Jack Campbell, he's got to be like part cyborg or something, right? Humans don't do what he does on a football field at that size. It's uh, obviously Saturday was, you know, for the for the layman, you you rack up that many tackles, people take notice. 
he plays like this every week, though. I mean, he's he dominates every week. He had a lot of tackles because, as Scott wrote, the defensive – you know, some of the young defensive linemen are doing a really nice job keeping him clean. I, you know, you watch him run. He runs free a lot, and uh, that's scary for offenses when you got a guy like that, yeah. that big and that quick running and getting up ahead of steam. And uh, he looked good on Tuesday, too. He's got the butterfly over the eye. I think he's got some stitches going there. Yeah. So uh, he's uh, – it's been fun. It's been fun to watch him kind of develop and stay healthy this year and be able to stay on the field. Um, he's just a dominant player. He's a dominant defensive player that you've said in the past, and I think it's the best way to describe it. He tips the field. Yeah. He's – just to see what he does, and he – seems to make a you know game-changing play on every single game. Um, Iowa State picks up the loose ball for a touchdown. Um, he, was, he was part of that safety. He didn't get credit for it, but he was right there tackling the quarterback in the end zone, and then he, he forces the fumble at the goal line against Kent State. Last week, he forces a fumble at the six-yard line, or recovers a fumble at the six-yard line that turns into a, the game-tying touchdown. And um, his range, his sideline to sideline movement, the tenacity to go from sideline to sideline and never take a playoff. He can really hit. Oh my gosh. He had a couple of real big shots in that game the other day. And then 18 total tackles. Um, you know, I, 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 I had a guy in mind that I really thought that he reminded me of. And I was like, I don't want to say it. And I don't want to say it. But now that he's the national player of the week, I can say it. And that's Brian Urlacher. You know, because he's got that size, that range. He could play Tampa two, which means if he needed to, he could drop all the way back and play the deep third if necessary. Um, just physical, aggressive, game-changing play. And, and you know, it, it, it's kind of like, how do you do that? Well, he just does it because he goes balls out every play. And, and eventually, when you do that, things happen. <laughs> and and so I think he's the type of guy that, you know, uh, he, he could – he he'll, he could change the play in every single game. It wouldn't surprise me if he has a big sack this game or if he has an interception or just something that to really change the dynamic of the game. Yeah, and I think for, you know, we, we get a chance to see this a little bit more than the fans, but when you're around the kid, he's super humble, um, really, really focused on the team and what it's taking not – it's what he can do in the defense to make the defense better. It's not him looking to stand out as, you know, and get his own or get his, as you would say, in basketball. Yeah. He really plays within the system. And in addition to his abilities, his natural abilities, his athletic abilities, he prepares himself really well. You can tell when you watch him, he diagnoses plays and is in the right spot, which even accentuates that natural physical, those natural physical gifts. Absolutely. He's, and, and that's what it, it's, what's so funny is a couple of years ago, there was a big discussion whether they should move him to, especially after AJ up and as went for the draft, mm -hmm. should they move him to the defensive end? Cause they just, they didn't, you know, it, nobody knew what Zach and Balkenberg would be. And, and then you're like, you know, you don't have Epineza. We've lost Anthony Nelson. Is he going to be a good player off the edge? He's tall. And I know talking to Seth Wallace, he's like, we resisted that quite well, you know, because he really, he goes, the, my fear was even if you tried him there, you never get him back. 
they'd bulk him up and then it'd be gone. Right. And so they, they kept him there and uh, against probably the wishes of the strength coach and uh, at the time and, and maybe even the head coach. So I think what we're seeing is, okay, maybe he'd be a very good defensive end, but there's no better linebacker in the country. And I'm not being, I don't think I'm being hyperbolic in saying that. Yeah. I remember talking to him um, when he was at Cedar Falls and asking him about, you know, um, projected positions. And he's like, you know, he goes, I'll play any three of the linebacker positions. If they want me to play defensive end, I'll play defensive end. He would have been fine. He would have just, okay, tell me what I have to do. You know, let's look at the film, whatever. I'll prepare myself to be the best player I could be, but there's no doubt he's at the right spot. Yeah. And I'm really fascinated to see next level for him. I'm sure the NFL scouts yeah. are pretty interested to see too. Sure. There were 12 of them at Iowa state and uh, there were three, I think last week. So yeah, there's, <laughs> but you know, is he an outside linebacker at a three, four, you know, do they blitz him? Do they, uh, you know, or do they play him inside? My guess is they probably play him inside. I think he's a three down linebacker at the next level. And um, because he does have such great range that you can do so many different things with him that um, it, it's fun to watch, but I, I think, I hope, people realize just how good this guy is because, you know, Iowa fans in particular, probably because the Ferentz era is stretched so long, uh, like to do compare the comparison game. Oh, is it's like Chad Greenway? No, he's better, you know, and it's because Chad was a great player. No question. One of the great players of Iowa history. And, uh, but he wasn't as big, wasn't as rangy. Um, he was a first round draft pick and he played 11 years in the NFL, went to a couple of pro bowls and was one of the great Vikings, but Campbell has more natural ability and, and the same desire, you know, there's no difference there. So I, and I'm talking this guy up too much. I got, I better stop. No, you're, I mean, I said the same thing on the mailbag the other day when somebody trotted out the, the Greenway comparison. And I think that initially maybe before we got to see Campbell perform more in games, there was some, it, it made a little bit more sense, but I said the same thing the other day. Chad Greenway was done here in 2005 was his last, 2006. Five. Five was his last season. Yeah. So you're talking 16 years ago. Athletes are bigger, stronger, and faster now. And, yeah. you know, when you compare where Jack is now to where Chad was then, it's just guys get, you know, it's an evolution. Um, and I would tell people, to soak it up, enjoy Jack Campbell this season because he's going to have a decision to make at the end of the year. Maybe it's a Linderbaum thing where he decides, hey, I love college, I want to come back, but he's going to have a decision. To make. He's going to, and it could be very well the same thing. And he's, if he was an out-of-state guy, I'd probably say he might be gone, and, and who knows what the in-state part of him says. Um, you know, it could be a TJ Hawkinson situation where yeah. I really want to come back, but man, I can't turn this down if I'm going to be first rounder. Um, and I and I'd also say that Justin Jacobs enjoy him too. Um, I have seen him promoted on boards already. I don't know that he's quite ready for that yet, but you know, the, the best comp that we've had in Iowa for him is Christian Kirksey um, and Kirksey's still playing, still starting in the NFL. Um, but Jacobs has more natural ability. Mm -hmm. um, and I think he's probably more of a, you know, a, a 
four, three, or maybe even a three, four inside linebacker. But I, I think they both are as good of a tandem as we've ever seen athletically. And, and Seth Benson isn't far behind either. I don't want to make him sound like he's some, you know, inferior. He's just kind of one of those kind of the Iowa success stories, typical, you know, two-star guy comes in, works his butt off, puts himself in a position is playing hard, playing well, do I see him as a next level guy? I don't know. Maybe, maybe he makes a team. Maybe he's a, you know, free agent or something, but, but Campbell and, and, um, and J, uh, Jenkins are just, Jacobs are just unbelievable in their athletic ability. Yeah. Seth Benson's kind of in, not the same type of player, but similar, um, Cole, you know, the Cole Fisher types guys that yeah. are just really good college linebackers and always around the ball. And he's fun to watch. Um, yeah. He gets overshadowed by the other two, but the other two cast a, a large shadow. For sure. Yeah. He had 11 tackles the other day, and he, you know, I'd say maybe he won the, the hitting harder contest out mm-hmm. of him and Campbell if he couldn't get the quantity. But uh, uh, it, that that's what makes it fun to watch this back seven, whatever the combination is. Because I really like the way Kayvon Merriweather is playing when he's in there. He's a hard hitter. Um, I'd like to see him get a couple of those and, and maybe it happens this week. You know, I think the corners are pretty good. I'm not based on what I've seen. I I'm not so sure Terry Roberts isn't as good or better than the other two, but sometimes it's hard to get past that when the other two have been starters for such a long time. Jack Kerner is a big physical guy who plays a smart position and Dane Belton's probably the got, probably got the best NFL pedigree out of the bunch. Cause he can do so many different things, but um I really like this unit. I think this uh, the back seven is is outstanding, and I really have enjoyed watching the the defensive line. You know, I've, I've compared it. Probably used this analogy too many times, but watching a lot of these redshirt freshmen get out there and play, they're like a bunch of Labrador puppies, <laughs> and they're just getting after it, man. And you know, Lucas Van Ness. Um, I I want to say I want to give you some credit for that because. I was watching him make a couple of plays. I think it was in the spring, maybe the second open practice. And you tweeted something, you had a picture of him and you tweeted something about, you know, Hey, he's really been impressive. And then I kind of went back and I, I kept my eye on him after your tweet and then watched your video again and, and then watched him even more closely in the, in the summer. And I'm like, this guy can play. This guy's not just a, Hey, he's a springtime superstar. I mean, he's legit and what he's doing He's going to be a major factor for a long time. He's an interesting story. I did a podcast with him. He was a really good high school hockey player. Yeah. And that's where he thought he was going to, he thought he was going to play hockey in college. Mm-hmm. And he just kind of blossomed late as a football player in high school. And uh, yeah, you can see the athleticism there. He's just a, and if you look at him, he can add more strength. He, oh, he yeah. can get bigger and more physical, and he's already pretty physical where he is now. It's funny because when I saw him at the podium a couple of weeks ago after, I think it was the Kent State game maybe, and he just he looked kind of still kind of thin, like he was <laughs> yeah. still linear. But then you look at some of the pictures and you see kind of his, you know, just going through the motions with his, you know, where his, his arms and legs are flexing just – because of the motioning. And I'm like, okay, he's not fit. He's got some, but he, he could probably pile in another 15 to 20 pounds and be, um, you know, I, I might imagine just based on the, the way that the roster is shaping up, 
you know, can you imagine what the front wall could look like in say two years with him and probably uh, Deontay Craig on the outside and YA black and, and Logan Jones on the inside when Logan is finally fully healthy. That's, that's quite a defensive line there. I mean, I, I, I like them all. I, I thought Logan Jones looked good before he got hurt and he's certainly got <laughs> the, the strength no doubt. So I, I'm fascinated by what they're going to do in the future. And, and then they've got other good guys too. So yeah, Ethan um, Herquette, throw him in there. They've got some, right. good, they're building some good depth there. Yeah, for sure. You know, and he got hurt, unfortunately. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, and I don't want to overlook the value of Zach Van Valkenburg, who I think has really emerged and, you know, John Wagner has been very steady and Joe Evans has gotten to the quarterback. So they've, they've done some really good things and only what Evans and, and of course, Shannon, who's there too, but only um, Van Balkenberg is the only um, senior out of the bunch. Yep. So yeah, that uh, that's been the best. I think the most pleasant surprise on this team because um, that was the biggest question coming in: could they replace those three guys, as you said earlier yep. in the pod? So they've answered the bell so far. Um, now they'll get in the Big Ten play. It'll be a little more physical, and uh, we'll see yep. how they hold up against that. I think they'll be okay. Yeah, I think so too. And. You know, Penn State's a, a good team. What whatever happens this week with Maryland, I mean, Penn State will pose a lot of challenges, but they also beat Penn State by 20 last year. And Penn State, um, you know, won an exciting game against Auburn, won a road game against Wisconsin. But does that make them a great team? No, I think they're capable of getting beaten. And um, you know, but I think right now, other than Alabama and Georgia, I'm looking at the rest of the country and it's kind of almost by default. Some of the, you know, including Iowa have kind of vaulted up these, uh, the charts. I mean, Clemson's not as good. Notre Dame is in, just like everybody else. Um, it's you know, tiers, so- right? It's, it seems like there's the Alabama Georgia tier and then there's a bunch of teams below that in the next yeah. tier. And you can, you can debate which teams deserve to be in that tier, but it's going to be how it plays out over the season. Yeah. I mean, Iowa is a, is a flawed team offensively, but an elite team defensively and on special teams. Um, you know, other teams are, you know, Penn state, I would say is probably more balanced than Iowa, but they're not necessarily elite in any area. Um, Oregon played really well to win at Ohio state, but Ohio state, their offense is, is significant or their defense is significantly challenged. I mean, it is a, train wreck defensively yep. so they've got they've got some issues there they might not even get out of the east with that defense their offense they can beat anybody in that boat race but you know once in a while you play a game and the wind's blowing and it's raining or it's snowing in the big 10 and all of a sudden you lost <laughs> nice this yeah. week scott we get arkansas georgia and i believe notre dame cincinnati yeah two those, really big so you've got what's that those are all top 10 teams, right? Mm, yeah. It, no, is Notre Dame a top 10 team? Yeah, I, I think they remember. moved in after the win over Wisconsin. They okay. may just be is on the edge, but, I mean, that's we'll, – we'll get to know about that next tier a little bit in that game, and then the following week when Iowa plays Penn State, we may get a little bit of um, clarity in that next tier. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so you'll get some separation. That's what will happen, and that'll be great. I – on Saturday, I'm flying actually to Minneapolis to see my kids after nice. uh, Maryland. So I'm going to go up there. My son did this. Uh, it works for a uh, the Minneapolis, Minnesota Zoo. They do an exhibit on these pumpkin designs. 
And so he's, I, I had to retweet one. It was so cool. That Castleman Weinstein in, in Bavaria, he carved that out and it just looks amazing. So I have to check that out. Yeah. Check out yeah. Scott Sun's artwork. Um, yeah. I haven't, I didn't see that. You, you said you tweeted that out? I just did. I retweeted my wife, right? Okay. Retweeted my wife. And, and uh, so that, that was, I, I'm going to go check that out. That's, this is really the only chance I get, I guess maybe in late October, but uh, I'd rather take the flight there for <laughs> the only drive <laughs> once and rather than twice, you know, Minneapolis, but after so many times, but I, I uh, so yeah, I don't know how much football watch Saturday. I'll try to keep my eyes on everything, but um but yeah, it's a separation Saturday. And I think the following one, I was in play for, for game day too, along with big noon kickoff. So it's. For the Penn State game? They, have they ever done two? Have they ever. Last done? week. Oh, they were both at. Uh, Na- uh, Notre Chicago? Dame, Wisconsin. Yeah. yeah. They just, so those I, people just wanted to go to a reason to hang out in Chicago yeah. in September. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Well, you know, and I can understand that, you know, you've got Lincoln Park there. Right. And, you know, you've got, you know, the, you're going to have uh, what the, the, gel, uh, the, bean, the, the bean and, and everything in there. And yeah, it, so there's so much you can set up. There's probably less room in Iowa City, so it'd make less sense for them to yeah. be there. But if it's a top five game, they're going, man, you know, because Bama and A&M, that would have probably been a, the easy one, but how do you do that? So um, what was, uh, what's the rhetoric you've heard about uh, Iowa having a three o'clock kickoff for that game? I haven't heard anything on that. You're, you're more connected in that area than than I have. Is there anything juicy there? No, um, it it was an easy call, uh, but I I know some fans have been really ticked off because they wanted it to be a night game and, Mm -hmm. you know, Kinnick and really um, it, what it boiled down to was, uh, the um, uh, what was it? Maryland and Ohio State was set for right. noon Eastern, 11 a.m. our time. Anyway, and Iowa's game was already scheduled for Fox, and so they decided let's make it a double header because you cannot, in your right mind, put Ohio State against anybody in a great game because Ohio State conquers the ratings against everybody. So rather than fight Ohio state, they decide let's just go back to back and lead into it. And, and so I think that's a smart way to, to, to go, but, but as far as no night games Kinnick this year, I, I do know that they are discussing and would like to maybe move that Minnesota game into night. They do have to have Minnesota agree to it though. And that's because it, once it, after the first weekend in November, both teams have to say yes to move it into prime time. And I, I mean, if you're Fleck, why wouldn't you want to do that? But to be a pain in the ass. <laughs> but Fleck loves that kind of stuff, you know. Yeah, to, just to be a thorn in the side and just kind of and that, he could do that. Yeah, you know, what's going on? There's just that little tension that we feel yeah. there that could just uh-huh. eh, nah, yeah. eh, we could play at night, but nah, we decide we don't want to do that. We'd rather play at 11. I want to be <laughs> <laughs> uh, that would be a sticky way to get back in Iowa, wouldn't it? Yeah. But we decided yeah, you're uh, cutting off your nose despite your face and that to take that. I mean, you want to be on the stage. And I and I knowing Fleck, he would want to be in prime time. Yeah. I agree. Uh, that's why I think that that's likely is 
hey, if we could be at night by ourselves in the Big Ten, and and if you win, you know, then you have a crowning moment, right? You know, and I, although after losing to Bowling Green, I don't know that there's many of those available to them. That was terrible. Yeah, and that's not good for the league when you do stuff like that. So don't do that stuff. <laughs> I mean, because right now you're looking at the West, and I'm going, okay, Iowa is clearly number one. Wisconsin, I even though they had a bad fourth quarter and it was caused by a lot of turnovers, there's probably number two. But I'm probably, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I, I'm looking at Nebraska as probably the third best team, and yeah, maybe not even that far from being number two. You know, yeah, Wisconsin's defense is elite, but other than that, I mean, their offense is Graham Mertz is regressing. Yeah, it's uh, it's not all that dissimilar from what we see and have seen here. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it, I've, I've told people all the time, the only difference between Iowa and Wisconsin over these last 10 years has been running back. Um, yeah, that when you have Melvin Gordon and you have Jonathan Taylor and you don't have that on the other side, that's the difference between the first down. That's the difference between third you know you know third and eight and you're getting a 12 yard gain like he's done and i remember gordon in 14 that the way he played there and yeah and then jonathan taylor likewise up there in uh what was it two years ago in 2019 yeah it was a two-point game and uh jonathan taylor you know he was all about it that team with the best one running back wins that's kind of the way it's worked out and I think Iowa has that this year, although I like the kid that uh, Wisconsin got from Clemson. I think he's a good back. I don't think – I think Iowa's – I think Wisconsin's offensive line is a little bit off compared to years past. Um, we'll see which team, Iowa or Wisconsin, can kind of get, get things together on their offensive line before that game rolls around. You know what's funny about that? You know, we're still a month away from it, but – when you start talking about Iowa, Wisconsin, it's, it's kind of like the, the script is, is getting close to being flipped on this, yeah. which is in years past, it's been, Iowa's been the underdog, but Iowa's going to fight like hell against this team. And it's probably, it's going to be the other way because they're going to say the same thing. Hey, you know, this is our, one of our rivals. We want to win this game and, you know, we want to be physical and, and, you know, <laughs> even if they don't win the division, they can still wreck Iowa's season in some respects. So I would expect it to be the same type of game. I would just be in the, the favored team going in there, or at least the higher profile team. Yep. And we'll get there. We're getting back in the big 10 play. This is the fun part of the season. Now it gets down to uh, deciding who's going to Indianapolis here over the next couple of months. Um, Scott is going to Maryland this weekend and then to Minneapolis. I'm going to get burritos, Scott. Uh, Scott was <laughs> kind enough to pass along uh, some free queso and a burrito from Pancheros that he acquired. Uh, I have to give a shout out to Estella's for reaching out to me and uh, offering a gift certificate for my daughter who chose to eat her birthday uh, meal there last week. So the burrito war continues, Scott. I don't even know if we, we need to call it a war. I just think it's like the burrito parade, man. As long as I can eat burritos, <laughs> put me in the parade. It's like uh, when Missouri and Kansas decided that border war sounded too seriously on the border <laughs> showdown. So we can say the burrito showdown. You know? <laughs> I like burritos. Yeah. I mean, you can, there are burritos that are better than others, but most burritos are good. Yeah, right. Yeah, I don't have a problem with too many burritos. And I would say 
I've had one of each over the last couple of days. So I, I wasn't disappointed either way. So um, that's, uh, that's my plan this weekend. I hope, uh, hope you have safe travels. Um, thank you. I'll miss being with you guys out at Maryland, but uh, I won't miss being on, uh, on my chair, uh, maybe <laughs> having a beverage Friday night while I'm watching the game. Um, so, yeah. Well, you, you enjoy that because I know my 45 minute drive or whatever it is from the stadium back to the hotel. And yeah, that is a bear. It's a, if I remember, it's a pain in the ass to get in and out of that stadium. It's a small town. College Park is smaller than I thought it was. Mm, yeah. Last time I was there was for basketball and it was, it was a really big game. It was like Iowa was three and they were eight and, and the fans showed up like two hours early and they were really dogging Adam Woodbury. Uh, it was it was and then i ended up having to use that under armor ball and they hated it you know so that became kind of an issue for a short period of time but yeah but it was it was a raucous environment then they this time around they wanted to have it as a blackout and do a bunch of things so i think it's uh it's going to be fun to to see what kind of environment they have and and as i said i think it can go a couple of different ways and um, one way is for all those fans to pour out on the field cheering a 5-0 and Maryland team that upset a top five team. And then it could also go, oh, this is why this is why we're Maryland and we're not ranked, you know. <laughs> and I, it's and a good environment. I, I had yeah. heard uh, one of the iClubs there is uh, planning uh, for, for the Iowa fans to wear gold to kind of yeah, Com- combo with the blackout to maybe get a black and gold look in the stadium. So something to keep an eye on there as well. This right. Is what, yeah. This is what it's about, though, Scott. That's why college football is so great. It is. Rivalries are great. Games like this are great because you don't get them very often. And then, yeah, to see a gold in the stands outside of Washington, D.C. I mean, this is the, the big thing is everybody's going to be watching this game. This is yep. what, you know, people complain about Friday nights interfering with prep football, but this is the reason why. I mean, you know, you've got, um, you know, when, when everybody's going to be watching this game, they're going to scrutinize Iowa pretty closely. And if Iowa plays well, if wins 31 to three, hey, they've got nothing to worry about. They're, they're going to have a good, some good things said about them. But if it's a loss or if even it's a close game, they don't look good. Yeah, you be ready for the Colin Cowards of the world. <laughs> yeah, I don't. We don't need to hear from him at all. Um, we heard yeah. enough from him in 2015. So, right. Everybody, enjoy the game. This should be a good one. Two four and teams. That's seven o'clock Central Time Friday evening on FS1. Uh, I think that's the uh, the Tim Brando team, right? Um, it is for a second back. week in a row. He's. Yeah. Uh, he. I'm not a fan, but. Um, you know, everybody has their opinion on announcers. He's not, he doesn't do it for me, but, um, you know, that's just one man's opinion. Yeah. He, he was pretty good on the desk of, uh, like, you know, the, <laughs> the when you kick it to New York at halftime yeah. in the past, I think, but no, I don't know. I don't have to listen to him much only on replay. Yeah. I could turn it down and listen to Dolphin Park. Maybe I'll do that. All right, Scott, safe safe travels, my friend. Everybody, thank you for listening. Uh, We'll be back uh, regular time next week on Thursday to preview the massive showdown between Iowa and Penn State at Kinnick Stadium. Uh, Have a great rest of your week, and we will talk to you a week from tomorrow. Say goodbye, Scott.
Goodbye, Scott.